Well, fanatics, Andrew Rice here once again. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Uh, welcome to this podcast with my good friend Ian Baker Finch. I know many of you love the sound of his voice. Uh, you love what he has to share on those fabulous CBS broadcasts that we get to watch every weekend. Well, hopefully every weekend, most weekends. I know I'm sure the last two weekends we've watched and listened to Ian sharing his insights. He's going to share some further insights with us today. But just the purpose of why we do this podcast, it's number one, so we can have a little bit of fun. But number two, so you can perhaps pick up a couple of pointers and some insights as to how you can start to play better golf and ultimately have more fun out on the golf course. As always, we have a sponsor for each podcast. This sponsor this week is Ping Golf. At Ping, success is measured in the lab and on your scorecard. We focus on results, your results. In the G425 Max driver, that means more time in the fairway, less time in the rough. Ian, thanks so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate you joining us. I'm looking forward to, you've had a busy two weeks with uh, mm -hmm. Augusta and Harbortown, and uh, I want to get your insights. I want to find out from you uh, what your thoughts were, and we're going to talk a little bit about, hey, you know, I was thinking this this morning, 1991-2021, uh, 30 years ago. Yeah, I know. Okay. Pretty amazing. Can anyway, it's, it? it's great to be with ago, you, mate. You won the Open. Yeah, it's uh, half my life. I was 30 when I won, 60 now. It's amazing, isn't it? Grandfather. Crazy. Oh, wow. Crazy. It goes quick. It goes in a flash. It goes in a flash. Ian, one of the big questions I wanted to get from you is, you know, 30 years is a long time. You've been involved in the game, certainly for a long time prior to 1991. Uh, but in your days as a player and now as a commentator with CBS Sports, What's the, what are the big changes? What are the big changes? I, and obviously, you know, we've got golf courses, we've got golf equipment, and we've got golfers. I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on all three of those, if you could, please. Well, um, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Well, yeah. let's, let's just go to agronomy. The standards of the, the golf courses now that we play on, how perfect the greens are, uh, mm. the new rules change that allows you to tap down indentations and... Uh, Natural marks on the green, spike marks, for, for example. So you've never really got an excuse. Um, the fairways are cut almost as perfect as greens used to be cut 50 years ago. So now the balls roll 50 or 60 yards. We saw that at the Masters, didn't we? So agronomy standards are so far superior. Uh, that being said, hole locations are far more difficult. Green speeds are ridiculous. And uh, that makes the game harder and it keeps par relevant. Uh, I'm not a big fan of keeping par relevant, but we can get into that a little later. Uh, the guys are so good now that if you played a regular golf course, they'd all shoot 62 or better. So why make 72 the score? They should be shooting by making it stupid. Um, so all that being said, the players are far stronger, fitter, more prepared, uh, more shared information from people like yourself available to all the people around the world, not just pro golfers but juniors coming through. So they get there. Mm. Another thing we could uh, you know, spend a whole segment on is how well prepared the young guys are when, or young ladies as well, that when they get on tour, how prepared they are to win and compete against these great players. So there's a lot of information sharing, a lot of great coaching. Um, as I said, the money in the game now, thanks very much to Tiger since 1996 when he first came out. 
Um, they're all playing for millions and millions of dollars. They, they win in one week now, what used to be a good career. Uh, there's already seven guys have won more than Jack won in his career this year. This so this year, amazing. yeah, five million. Jack won five million dollars. So you win two million one hundred thousand for winning one tournament. So if you win three tournaments in a year, there you go. You got six million just in three wins. Not not you know degrading having three wins or a major yeah, or whatever, yeah. but not. But you know what I mean. So now athletes are playing the game. Fifty years ago, the athletes played the, the big money sports. They played football, basketball, baseball, whatever they could earn a lot of money in. Uh, now there's money in golf. It's a sexy sport. Young people are playing. Athletes are playing. So now the, the players, it's a far deeper field. Once again, we could go on and on and on about each one of these aspects. But I'll finish all of that uh, diatribe by saying the great champions of any era would be the great champions of every era. And so Bobby Jones would adapt to the conditions and the clubs and the athleticism now and still be a great champion. Jack Nicholas, 40 years on. You know, it, yeah. I, it's easy to say now um, it, they're better players, but I think all of the great players would have still been the great players. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah, and I love what you said, Ian, about information. I think um, knowledge, data, understanding um, our ability to measure and understand is so so much better now than even when jack was playing you know i i i'm i've been for years a believer that um jack just happened to hit up on the golf ball i think if you look at how little divot he took how high he hit the golf ball i believe that jack hit up on the golf ball for all those years and he was competing against everybody who was hitting down on the golf ball. They had no way to measure. They had no way to even understand that hitting up was a tremendous distance advantage. And I think people looked at Jack and said, man, that Nicholas boy is so strong. You know, he's really a strong kid. And that's yeah. why he hits it so far. Um, we understand that better now. That's a given. You know, that kind of thing is a given. Uh, but we're getting so much further down the road when it comes to understanding training and fitness and equipment oh, and club fitting and uh, green reading. And there's so much better information <laughs> out there for these players today. And I think that's yeah. why we see, uh, you know, Ian, you've played, you've played Harbour Town, right? Yes. Um, th you know, as well as I know, that is a proper golf course. Okay. Yeah, it's, it sure it's, is. It's not the longest course out there, but for stu for anybody to go around there in 63-63 to kick off the tournament this week, as Stuart Sink did at Harbortown, um, that is mind-boggling. I, I remember uh, a, a quick pat on my own back. I remember was looking through the stats this week at Harbortown, and uh, it was either 90 or 91, I shot 64-65 back-to-back. And that was a record at the time, 129. And uh, I loved Harbour Town. I, I got beaten by Davis Love uh, one year. I bogeyed the last two holes to lose by a shot. Davis won one of his five uh, victories there. And third another year. But that was a course that really suited me because I wasn't necessarily long. I was middle of the pack. Um, but I was a good iron player and a good putter. So that, uh, that style, of course, with very small greens... And, of course, where you have to hit it straight and think about where you're going. Now, a lot of the holes that we used to hit a driver off, like number eight was a driver and a five iron. Now it's a three yeah. wood and a nine iron. 
Yeah. It's um, and the tee's further back, by the way. Yeah. So yes, a lot of the guys is. are hitting three woods and five woods now, where we were hitting drivers, and it was harder to squeeze a driver with the Velada ball that straight. So it really was a, a demanding course. Mm. It's uh, it's one of my favourites. That one, Colonial Memorial. You know, they're they're all great golf courses, but they're. Mm. They're uh, gradually elongating the yardages uh, to get them out there where the old 7,000 standard, right, that we thought was pretty tough when you and I were growing up and playing professional golf. We thought 7,000 was, well, 72, 7,000, that's a pretty good test. Now it's about 7,500 past 70 is more the standard. Yeah, it, 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 and, and I look at it and I go, it's all a product of data. The players... Um, obviously, human genetics, DNA hasn't changed in the last however many years. Um, it's just players are, are better at extracting more out of their bodies, out of their equipment, out of their, their mindset. Um, and thus, they can do that. And we've got to find ways to protect, ultimately, to protect the golf course. Um, I think you're spot on when, when you said uh, everybody would shoot 62. I think if, if we were to go and play a local country club with PGA Tour players, um, there'd be a handful of players that shoot in the 50s each day. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. If they went and played 7,000 yards, four par fives, or par 72, however you want to say that. Yeah. Uh, greens that were 10 to 11 on the stint meter. Um, no one would shoot more than 68, and there would be a handful in the 50s for sure. Yeah. Because they, they hit it that far. You know, if, if you're hitting the ball 300 yards consistently in the fairway, and the driver is the go to club these days, you hit the driver as straight as a nine iron. Um, that, uh, you know, and greens that hold and hold locations that aren't tucked you know, three paces behind yes. a bunker, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, they'd, they'd go low. They're that good. And, and that's why I sometimes um, doubt some of the tournaments that have the greens crazy hard and fast, whole locations tucked away just to sort of preserve par or protect records or whatever it might be to make the players. To me, it doesn't necessarily always provide the best player as the champion. I think a lot of mm. top play players miss the cut because of, um, you know, the, the uncertainties of the way the course is set up, if you know what I mean. So mm. I, I don't know. It, everyone has their own opinion on it. I, <laughs> I like hard, fast, uh, no rough. And fair. But, but fair. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't trick it up to the point where you can't keep it on the green, even with yeah. a, a high spinning lob wedge, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, you'll appreciate this. I've found over the years that um, obviously the USGA has had their issues with how they set up the golf course. They pick fabulous golf courses, mm. and then they can get a little um, heavy-handed in the way they they prepare the golf course. I think the RNA has done it beautifully in that they pick a fabulous golf course, uh, they set it up fairly, and they go go and play. Um, the yes. weather and how you play is going to determine things. Um, they don't push the golf course to the limit so that if they have a really dry, windy day, it gets out of hand. Uh, I've asked this of a number of golfers that I get to work with. And I say, what's your favorite open championship in the last couple of years that you can remember? And everybody says the Henrik and Phil shootout. 
Yeah, fantastic. Okay. That fantastic. That's true. Okay. And yeah. then I say to people, can you remember what the winning score was? And nobody can remember. And I believe that Henrik won at 23 under par. Yeah, he shot 63 and Phil shot 65, if I remember Something like correctly. that. There was a number of 63s day. in that event. Yes. And, and Prune is a great golf course. It's tough. Who cares? Um, yeah. It was fantastic. You know, no one really cares that it was 23 under par was the winning score. They just go, this was a great shootout. Henrik and Phil, it was tremendously memorable. Um, it was good fun to watch. And let's go with that. You know? Yeah, I'm with you. I think too, um, the Open, because it's played on great links courses close to the ocean, uh, predominantly weather driven, the, the scoring, yes. they have to be a little cautious with the green speeds. And even if they could get that type of grass at 13 or 14 on the stint meter, you know, really, really quick, they wouldn't do it because they know that if the wind blows, they can't use the whole locations, they won't finish, which is what happened at St Andrews in 2015. The wind blew it. It was dangerous. The wind was blowing at 50 mile an hour. Yeah. So they missed a day. Um, and we finished on the Monday, if you remember. That, uh, Zach Johnson beat Mark Leishman and Louis Wustazen in the, in the playoff. Yes, but much typically to, the much greens to our that, chagrin. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Louis already has a major. Zach now with two. I think Leash will win one as well. He's a he's a big moment player. Yeah. But to me, they have the green speeds at about eleven. If they get it any faster than that, and the wind blows at twenty five, it then causes issues with pace of play, maybe cancelling a couple of times. I, I remember at Royal Birkdale one year where they had to stop play because a ball was rolling off the sixth green, I believe. So with those great green shapes and the old Lynx courses, they have to be careful with, with green mm -hmm. speeds. And uh, that's also, I like the fact that uh, if they've had a wet summer coming in, it's lush, thick, rough, greens holding, course plays longer. And if they've had a dry, harsh summer, it's blonde, hard and fast, very short, very tricky. If the wind blows, you know, you'll have guys complaining about missing four and five foot putts, you know, all the time because the wind blows so much. But yeah, it's, I, I believe the Open, the British Open, the Open is, yes. is the best venue uh, of all of the majors. I love the Masters. I love going back to the Masters. Obviously, it's just, you know, it's uh, if there was a golf course in heaven, it'd be Augusta National and the Masters would be played every day. But uh, a, a fair average test is typically the Open Championship. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And Ian, you mentioned Augusta. What, what, what are your takeaways from the Hideki Masters? What do you um, think? I thought it was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Great for golf around the world. Unbelievable yeah. for Japan. Uh, in the Olympic year as well, Tokyo, the Olympics Tremendous. this year. He'll, if he doesn't like the cauldron, I, I can't think of any uh, other athlete from Japan that would deserve the honor greater than, than him. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how he went about it. You know, we all thought with six holes to go, it was it's a foregone conclusion. And then Xander makes three birdies. And then he, he dunks it at 16 and makes a triple. Um, Hideki bogeys three of the last four holes, you know, to, to sort of stumble in by a shot. But in general, great for the game of golf, great for Japan and Asia, wonderful for the Masters. Because one quick more thing on that, Augusta National decided uh, 11 years ago now 
that they would run that Asia-Pacific Championship. They then went on and did the same thing in South America. And the reason they did it was to give more players in different areas around the world an opportunity to compete. And hopefully they would raise young champions that would come on eventually and play at the Masters and maybe even win a Masters. Well, the first winner was Hideki Matsuyama. And he came over and he played in the Masters in 2011 and he was low amateur at that Masters. He is now 10 years on that guy that they were trying to um, showcase to, to uh, reward through this Asian amateur uh, initiative is now the Masters champion. So I, just in general, um, Augusta National and all the members there, they do a wonderful job of promoting golf around the world, not just the tournament. That is fantastic. I, I didn't know he had actually, I knew he was low amateur, uh, but I was not aware that he had got into the event via the Asian mm. amateur. Yeah, he actually won it twice, the Asian wow, amateur, two great. years in a row. But he, that's how he got in, and then he turned pro the next time, and, and he's been a pro since. Uh, fine young fellow, very humble, like all the Japanese players. I love the caddies' uh, response. That you know, most, most, most times the caddies will rush out and cut the flag off and run off, you know. But he, he went and bowed and, and thanked the course. And, yeah. Um, you know, all of the questions that uh, Hideki answered, very humble he said uh, something like, "If if I'm, I'm I'm not sure if I'm the most famous golfer ever in Japan, but if winning a major uh, makes me that, I will have set the bar." Uh, just you know, he, he's yeah. not a not a braggart at all. He's gracious, just a really humble guy, gracious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was neat to see. You know, it um, competitive golf as you know is always interesting and i'm sure as a commentator you're always rooting for things to get a little closer coming down the stretch uh it was i had a sense that when xander hit it in the right bunker on 15 that he was going to hold that bunker shot and i actually recorded that live on my phone because i was like i'm going to call it right now this shot's going in and he <laughs> just missed it i know the, the feeling I got coming off of the 15th green was for the first time all day, Hideki had looked in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. He had looked in the rearview mirror. And as the chaser, I would always want to be getting that leader, that front runner to, be, to look in the rearview mirror. Because as soon as you can get them to do that, now you've got a contest. And mm -hmm. people, you know, it's, you know this as well as I know this, four shots can be gone in two holes. Oh. Totally. Four shots can be gone in two holes. Um, and it's, it's, I, I really think that's one of the most challenging things in golf. I'd love to hear what you think, Ian, um, is going into a Sunday with a big lead, big tournament, strong chasing field coming up behind you. What do you think? Uh, it's, it's very hard what Stuart Sink did and what Hideki did over those that closing nine. Um, I did it a couple of times in my career, had a big lead and won, won one big tournament in Australia by 13 shots. Fantastic. Ian, can I, I ask, how did you approach that? How did I you played, approach that I played games. I, sorry, I, I played games with myself. I would uh, I'd try and make a birdie on the birdie holes like I'd done in my... Everyone talks about the game plan now and sticking to the game plan. Well, really, game plans are all very well. They're, they're a template. 
but yeah. you have to also go on the day with with emotion and where you're playing and how you're hitting it and the situation you're in and, and where the chases are all that sort of stuff has to be taken into consideration but that those times when I won by a lot it was more like okay let's set a goal I'm still going to try and birdie those the, the birdie holes I'd like to be uh, one under par each four holes perhaps um, not stupidly aggressive by saying oh, I'm going to win by 10 shots here I'm just going to yeah. play for it and go for it be cautious at the right times leave it under the hole on the fast greens we get those really quick greens in Australia so it was more about forgetting about the situation I was in and how far ahead I was it was more about doing something to keep me engaged in still playing golf the way I wanted to as well as I was playing and I think it's maybe different at Augusta because you know that you can go 6, 6, 13 and 15 and someone goes 4, 3 and you've lost a shot from yeah. five shot lead, now you you know anything can yeah. happen. Uh, same at sixteen. Xander made six. Had that ball yeah. carried three more yards, it may have bounced up to six foot, and he makes two. Yeah. It was right on line. So you have to still play your game, stick to your template, if you will, your game plan to the point of not throwing shots away. Hideki, I think, didn't realize how pumped up he was on a couple of those shots, as far as he hit it off the mm. tee at 13, as far as he hit that second shot at 15, I think he just wasn't aware that that was going to happen um, to his body. So, because he hits it far anyway, he's got a beautiful swing yeah. and great contact. But to me, you have to put aside, be, be aware of what's going on. Some guys like Dustin Johnson said last year at the, at the November Masters that he had no idea where he was. When he was going up 18, he asked his brother, so, you know, how are we doing? He, he didn't know. I, I don't know if that's uh, a fantasized story, but that's what I've been told by a couple. Yeah. I don't know whether I could do that. I, I thought I would spend more energy not looking at the board than looking <laughs> yeah. at the board, right? I, I wanted to know. But there's a there's two schools of thought there. Do you do you want to know? Do you want to play according to the leaderboard, or do you just want to go play according to your game? So, mm. um, if if Dustin didn't know, I'm sure AJ did. I'm sure his brother knew exactly where he was. He yeah. just wasn't telling yeah. him. Yeah, I I love what you said, Ian, about playing games and. All of a sudden, you turn it into you're not trying to win this major championship or this big event, whatever it might be. You're trying to play these next four holes a certain way. Mm -hmm. And then it's a new game and you're trying to make uh, two birdies over the last nine holes. Mm -hmm. And you're playing smart and you make it something less than what it really is. And uh, that's certainly what I encourage my competitive golf students to work towards and understand that. You know, that four-shot lead that you've got, that can be gone in a flash, in a flash. I, I think it's very difficult totally. to play with a big lead. Uh, and it's always helpful, in my opinion, to, to reduce it down to little games that you're going to play with yourself. And for me, at the Open Championship, when I won, I was tied for the lead with Marco Mira and Seve and, uh, and maybe Mike Harwood were all about the same. I was in the last group with O'Meara. And uh, I birdied five of the first seven holes and I had a five-shot lead. So I remember walking off seven green and seeing the leaderboard and thinking, oh, hell, if I don't win from <laughs> here, they won't let me back in Australia. You know, I'm done. I've lost it a couple of times before. I better not lose it again. So from there, it was more making sure I stuck with my shape. My routine was immaculate. I took 13 seconds 
from taking the club out of the bag to hitting the ball on every shot, chip shot or putt or driver. It was the routine was great, which allowed me, I was concentrating on my breathing and, and the routine. That was really what got me through the pressure side of things. But I just played it fairway and green, two putts. So from the eighth tee, I hit all the fairways and greens and two putted, except 10, where I got a bad kick and the ball kicked into a bunker. I pitched it out of the bunker safely, hit it on the green and two putted for five. So that was the only time I didn't stick to the game plan, if you will. Yeah. And then 17, I hit the green in two and two putted for birdie to give me the three-shot lead going up the last. And the last I played safe, I hit it in the left rough because it was out of bounds and bunkers right. I aimed at the left rough. I hit a six-iron short right to miss all the bunkers and I chipped it on the green and two putted for five to win by two. So I just did what needed to be done based on what was the right approach. You know, it wasn't my mm. game plan. I didn't hit driver seven iron into the last like I'd done the day before and make birdie. Yeah. I played safe because I had a big lead. That's, that's what I mean about the game plan. It's good sure. to have one and everyone does, but I think you have to vary that to the situation. It's got to be flexible in the moment. Mm-hmm. Well said. Okay. Okay. You coaches have got all of the right terminology. I love that. <laughs> you, you know, you, 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 you're very good. You know that. You got that. Um, Ian, a question. Okay, you get to stand out there, and I'm sure you spent some time on the range prior to going on the air. Uh, you get to see some players that us, the golfing public, we might not know much about. We might not have seen them very much. Uh, but who of the current crop of young up-and-coming golfers out there, who impresses you, who catches your eye, and who gets you thinking? Well, there's, there's so many now that, that as I said earlier, this, that come out really well prepared. You look at Colin Morikawa. You know, he's 24 yeah. years of age. He's already won four times a WGC and a major. Um, if he putted a little bit better, I think he would have won 10 times. He's still searching for that. What's he going to sink his teeth into for the next five years to make himself a better putter? Mm. That's, that's what they're all trying to find now. Like a Will Zalatoros. He is an unbelievable ball striker, young fellow that ran second at the Masters. Yeah. Awesome, awesome ball striker, but he suffered with the yips already as a young man. He was in that famous 2017 Walker Cup team that won by 10 shots or something at LA Country Club. Really, really good player. But he figured out a way now with the arm lock that he can still yip it a little bit and still hold putts. So if he continues to do that, I think he'll be really, really good because now he's figured out, oh, okay, I can still be a bit nervous or a bit jumpy. And with this method, I can hold putts. Like Webb Simpson figured it out. He went from the long putter to that arm lock. Yeah. Um, Bryson DeChambeau, he's, he's made it an art. Like he does everything he does. He leaves no stone unturned. And, and he is uh, just so perfect and so precise with that method. It looks weird, I know. It mm. certainly doesn't look like you know the old putters of the old days where we'd be all hunched over and you know using our hands or hinging uh, the, the butt of the club on our left leg so we, you know, uh, didn't yip it or didn't feel nervous at times. Anyway, um, Victor Hovland is very, very good. He's been working on his short game. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've noticed that. His chipping is a yes. lot better now. He needed you or someone like you to, uh, to improve his chipping, and he's done that, so I like him. Um, Matthew Wolf, unbelievable, so different 
but he's struggling at the moment. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure George Gankus will figure it out. And he's he's too good and too athletic to to drift away. No doubt. Uh, and then you then you have a guy like Sung Jae Im. He's got kind of that old style, slow rhythmic swing. And uh, he was rookie of the year a couple of years ago, and and a consistent um, performer. So lots of guys that. Um, and there's there's a young uh, young um, Australian kid. He's not say young now. He's 24. Uh, Cameron Davis, beautiful swing. If you watch him, look at look him up. He swings the same right hand Mighty as he and does lefty. left-handed. Yeah, beautiful, isn't it? It's just uh, what a talent. Ian, what do you think about Cam Smith? <laughs> yeah, really good. His uh, his body shape has changed. He's started working out the last couple of years. He's got a lot stronger. He still has an immaculate short game. Um, really good attitude, kind of happy-go-lucky. Finish yeah. the round, go have a couple of beers go fishing on my day off. You know, he's, he's he got that, that really great Aussie South African sort of uh, demeanor. Yeah. And um, was a record uh, setter at the Masters last November. You know, he had four rounds in the 60s to finish second. And uh, he finished well again. I think he was top 10, ninth or 10th this year at the Masters. Played well again yeah. this week, 11 under, top 10 again. Yeah. Um, getting used to hitting the ball longer and farther as he gets a bit bigger and stronger you know he stays just a skinny little kid now he looks you know quite quite buffed yeah. and strong but yeah i think he'd be around a while because of his attitude and because he's a wonderful short game uh, proponent i love it I, I i really do like him beyond the hair and the mustache and all that <laughs> uh, I, I love his uh he seems to me to be that gritty gamer kind of player who doesn't look like he should be good, but he mm -hmm. is really good. Yep. Uh, he's got that that underlying sense of I can get this done, you know, and, yeah. and that's that's really what I, I like in him. And I wanted to talk talking about Australians and Australia, um, something that's near and dear. I know to your heart and my heart is uh, golf course architecture and just playing great golf courses. Mm -hmm. If you could, I've, I've got a little question for you here. If you could drop a pin in the map anywhere in the world and you could only venture within 50 miles of that pin um, to play the highest number of incredible golf courses you could find in your 50 mile radius, where would you drop your pin? Oh, would you give me two pins? I'll give you two pins. I'll give you two. Long Island would be number one. Really? So, okay, that's oh, interesting. There is 50 of the top 200 courses in the world in the New York area. Yeah. Out in the, Ham out in the Hamptons. I won't name them all. Everyone knows them. Mid Middle Island, just across the, the way there, across the Hudson, I guess that is, over towards Wingfoot. You know, that, that area of New York, yeah. just amazing. But then internationally, boy, you, you could almost do three. You could almost do south southwest London, you know, the Sunningdale area. There's, yeah, there's 50 great tell you, horses there. But then my number me? one, my number one, hold okay, on. Okay, okay. <laughs> my number one would be sand, the Sandbelt area of Australia because yeah. there would be at least 50, if not more, 100 yeah. great courses all, all around the, the Melbourne area, the Sandbelt area. is uh, mm. It's just made for golf. But there's, you know, there's so many people will say, oh, how about Chicago? Uh, how about, uh, as I said, that Southwest London? Uh, how about, you know, Northern Scotland? You know, there's a lot of mm. regions. Yeah. Um, 
that offer great courses. Mm. Um, the, the Bay Area and, um, you know, the Pebble Beach area in, in California as well, there's some great golf courses there. How about in, in South Africa? Are there, is there an area there? Would it be the Garden District yeah. maybe? You know, there's, there's, there are some nice golf courses in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must say, to be frank, that I have not played truly great golf courses in South Africa uh, in the last decade or so. Great okay. golf courses. Uh, I would just looking at the density and like Scotland's got great golf courses, New York's got great, but if I'm talking like density and we're, we're going to pack a bunch of courses into a small area, um, there's a little town Southeast of Melbourne where I would drop my pin and it's called Frankston. Yeah. And there's Peninsula Kingswood. There's obviously all the sand belt courses get, get, get into my 50 mile blanket there. Oh, and yeah. uh, I think I would drop my pin into Frankston and I can venture down into Mornington Peninsula, mm-hmm. snag up some of those there. Um, I think I could play for a good solid month. Oh, yeah. Playing a dud. Well, come on down. Oh, I can't wait. I'd, as soon as, I'd love as, soon as it. Australia then- will let me, I'll be there. We could we could just venture over to northern Tasmania and play Barn Boogle courses there as well. It's just Love a little uh, little puddle jumper down there. But you're right; those courses, the National St Andrews Beach, Peninsula yes. Kingswood, then up a little bit, you know, five miles up into all of those great sandbelt courses: Kingston Heath, Metropolitan, Royal Melbourne, Victoria, um, Woodlands is just Woodlands. right there as well. Incredible. Yeah, you know, Yarra Yarra just did a redo with Tom Doak. Yeah, but yes. You're right. And, and natural golf, a lot more like um, kind of links conditions in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. The, the, it's almost like they've got the good part of links conditions. They've got firm, fast turf uh, without the hurricanes and hoeing down rain all the time. <laughs> exactly. And, and hard, fast, bent grains. Yeah. 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 You know, <clears throat> Which is good. I know you know this Royal. I've I've been privileged to play Royal Melbourne quite a few times, and uh, I am yet to see a ball mark or to be able to make a ball mark. And I know a lot of people <laughs> say when they've played firm greens, they're like, "Oh, you can't make a ball mark, but you make a dent." Yes. At Royal Melbourne, there's no dent. No, and and you can run it into the greens because it's firm in front as well. Yes. Nothing annoys me more than manufactured hard, fast greens with soft fronts. It's yeah, just not fair. It's not golf. You know, if, if the green's hard and fast, you've got to be able to land it short and run it on. So that's, that's the, 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 um, the architecture there is second to none for sure. Yes, I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Ian, I, I, I've got to ask you this. I, I know as a commentator, and we've had these discussions over the years, as a commentator, um, there are certain things, things happen quickly, right? You've got someone in your ear, you're talking, waxing, poetic uh, about what you see, what we're seeing, and you've got someone cueing you for what's coming up and all that. What is the most, as a commentator in golf today, what's the most challenging thing you get to deal with during the broadcast? Um, the, The hardest thing is not having enough time to tell a story. Mm. or set up a shot appropriately or get a chance to talk to the on-course reporter that may be with that group, whether it be Dottie Pepper or Trevor Immelman or, or Mark Immelman. Uh, Colt Most does a little bit with us now as well. He's a fun guy to have around. Um, but when you have so many obligations 
during an hour of golf. We really have 40 minutes per hour to talk golf. And we have, say, 20 cameras dispersed around the golf course. Uh, the golf course, the, the playing ground is 150 acres. You've got you know, 40, 50, 60, up to 160 players on that ground. And we have to cover golf. And we have to try and keep up. The, the, uh, the producer will try and show the leader live and the others are taped in sequence to, to tell the story appropriately and according to how it's happened in, in the right time. So I'm sitting, basically, a, a lot of people don't realise this, but I'm sitting there, we are all sitting there, we're watching TV. I'm only seeing what the viewer is seeing. I see nothing else. I don't have a monitor on the other holes that I have to call. I only see what you're seeing. Now, I know if I'm sitting on 18, I know that that group just played 18 and we're going to show that group or not in a couple of seconds when we come back from ad break. So I could have seen that group finish at 18, but that's all I would see. I wouldn't see anything else. So our producer is saying to everybody, he's the voice of God, which we call it to everyone on headsets, and there's two or 300 people on the show. It's not just the seven or eight announcers. Here we're saying... We're going to 17. So we know that the next picture is coming to 17. Jim Nance will say, let's head over to 17. Now the play is on 17. Well, I don't know anything that's going on, anything more than you. I just know in my headset that we're going to 17. Or while I'm talking on 17, the producer will say, uh, throw it over to Jimmy at 18. As, as I finish my thought, let's head over to 18, Jimmy. And it goes to 18. So, yes, that's, that's the direction we're given. But we're not given uh, – Xander just hit it in the water at 16. He's taking a drop. He's, he's going to make double at least here. Let's go to 16. We don't know that. We're going to 16. That's all we know. So, you know, we're not getting anything more than where we're going next. And that voice that the producer gives us – I'm giving you a bit of inside scoop here – also goes to the truck that produces the graphics – because that just doesn't happen automatically, that little thing that happens up into the top third of the screen, yeah. uh, Xander Shoffley, third shot at 16, nine under par, someone has to input that. Mm. So it, it doesn't, it, you can't show every shot live, it's impossible, because sometimes no one's hitting a shot and sometimes yeah. 10 people are hitting a shot at the same time. Yeah. So they have a lot of tape machines and the operators and the technicians at CBS have been doing this for a long time and they're the best in the business. They're incredible at what they do. We very rarely make a mistake. And then the producer tries to get back after ad break or after uh, obligations to the lead alive or at least to a live shot that's relevant. And uh, that's, that's an art in itself, um, going to break, spending two and a half to three minutes and then getting back live uh, to a shot that's that's relevant in the story, so it's there's a lot of lot of moving parts, and the longer you do it, the better you get. There's no real training, Andrew. It's not. It's mm. like you. You're you're a far better coach now than you were when you first started doing it, because of the experiences of of your what thirty years now. Yes. Right. Of yeah. of doing it, you're, you're far better now. And for me now, if, uh, all I've ever done is play golf. I'm a golf expert, but. I and I still play a lot of golf. Obviously, it's my love. But I've been doing television now for 25 years. Wow. Uh, if I haven't learned it by now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've, I've been fooling someone uh, along the way. 
And I think that's the great thing. And that's why Jim Nance, I mean, he's been doing it for 40 years. He's just yeah. brilliant. Um, such such a great leader for us. It's so great. It's good. And, and the thing that amazes me is how calm all of you sound. You all mm. sound very calm and collected. And I know, I often close my eyes and I go, I wonder what's going on in Ian's ear as he's saying this right now. Because yeah. I know there's, there's chaos and you've really got to be calm on the outside and incredibly sharp and on your toes and ready to adapt and change gears very quickly. And you never know too, I might have 20 little nuggets that I've got prepared to say about various players at times, but I might have a nugget that takes 15 seconds to read and it's a seven second tape shot. Yeah. So I've got to some, ed, you know, edit myself to try and get as much in as I can to then still throw it to the next hole announcer in a timely fashion. So I'm not holding them back from uh, what they have to say when it's their turn. So it's um, lot, yeah, a lot of, lot of editing and a lot of mistakes we make in what we say. This isn't like a, uh, a journalist, for instance, writes an article or a story. And as they're writing it, they can screw up 20 or 30 bits of paper while they're writing it. They just have a deadline to finish it in and then they check it all and make sure it's spelled correctly and then they submit the story. But we're, I'm seeing what you're seeing. I've got to talk to the world at the time that you're seeing it. Yeah. So you have to be well prepared and you have to let it go if you make a mistake. And I must make so many mistakes. And I'm sure if I read Twitter, I'd, I'd have them all rehashed every Monday morning. Baker Finch said this and it's wrong or whatever it might be. <laughs> you have to, over time, you have to learn to let it go. And that's yeah. probably the, the hardest thing for me being yeah. a perfectionist. I, I struggle sometimes with, I could have done a better job with Hideki on the 71st hole. Um, and I kicked myself for four or five days for not saying something that I really wanted to say about golf in Japan, but he still hadn't won yet. You know, I, I didn't want yeah. to go off and say something that wasn't necessarily appropriate. It was for Jim to say after he'd finished and after he'd won. So, um, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. It, you, have, you have to be uh, quick on your feet, but mm. at the same time, accept the fact you're going to make a mistake occasionally. And um, Now, just quickly, we're, we're in a, a big tower together now where I can see Nick He's about 10 feet away looking at a monitor that's backed to me. I'm okay. at a desk and Frank's six or seven feet away at, at a desk and we can sort of look at each other. So the three of us can converse. I can wave to Nick and say, you know, give him a, a hand signal. You go, you take it okay. or vice versa. And that's really helped, I think, in the telecast being able to eyeball each other. And is that something different? Because I know in years past, you were always in behind the 17th green at Harbour Town mm -hmm. in that lonely tower up there. Freezing my ass off. <laughs> yeah. This year, yeah. you would have been fine. <laughs> but yeah, we used to be on single towers. Frank was at 16. Gary McCord, when he was there, was on 16. Uh, I was always on 17 and Nick at 18. And now they've put us all at 18 in one big tower. Oh, okay, that's And when the COVID restrictions go, Jim will come into our tower as well. And the four of us will be in one tower. At the moment, Jim's next door by himself. Just for COVID issues, if one of us goes down in our tower, all three of us are out. Okay. Um, if Jim went down, I'd take over from Jim and be the lead. And Jim would have to quarantine for two, two weeks. So they try and keep it a little separate. They don't want us all going down okay. at the same time. There's they've been, Viacom and CBS, they've been great. Uh, it's, it's restrictive. It's not fun. 
Yeah. You know, I'm getting three tests every week. And uh, Jimmy was telling me last week he's had over 80 tests. Wow. He's been on the road since uh, we started back in early June. He's been on the road nearly every week. So it's, uh, but, but we've been safe. Um, and we're all vaccinated. Hey, yeah, you have. Too. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Okay, Ian, um, I'd like to close out these podcasts with a little bit of a kind of a format where we're going to call it the fast finish. I've got a bunch oh. of quick questions. All you're going to do is I'm going to fire two things at you. You tell me which one you, you prefer. And then I always have a little bonus question that is custom built for our guest each okay. week. Okay. And so uh, I'm going to throw a few of these at you. I've got a good idea as to what I think. I know some of these are going to be, but let's have a look anyway. Okay. Okay. First one, uh, Pill Beach or St. Andrews? St. Andrews, home of golf. Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Caddyshack. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Walk no or contest. ride? Sorry? Walk or ride? I, I prefer walk but my hips are bad so i ride more than i walk these days i'm with you on that one too i do prefer walking uh would you rather be the best iron player or the best driver oh i think these days best driver long and straight is a huge advantage i'll take either one actually <laughs> um jack or tiger tiger i love jack jack was my hero but if i had to go with one the best yeah um tiger was the best at every aspect of the game i like to hear that that's interesting uh, th this is an easy one I, I shouldn't even ask you this open championship or u.s open <laughs> <laughs> open championship no. followed by the masters <laughs> okay uh do you prefer links or parkland golf courses links i like natural elements along the ground i'm not a high soft lob it although you got to do that sometimes but links yep. uh mickey wright or annika sorenstam uh mickey wright had an unbelievable swing annika sorenstam was the tiger woods of women's golf so i'll go with annika rolling stones or the beatles rolling stones it's got a little little more to it same same uh, era it started out but you know you got to love the stones i mean i know everyone word to all of them but uh, you got to i'm a bit more of a rocker i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a little extra one at you here um in excess or men at work uh well everyone knows men at work with a veggie mite sandwich man down under right but you got to go with in excess michael hutchinson in excess for sure Good choice. genius uh would you rather win a major championship or the money list major championship I'm with you too there. And Ian, your bonus question. Mm -hmm. Not too hard now. It's <laughs> This is an easy one. Okay. okay. Original Tim Tams or double dipped Tim Tams? Oh, I'm going to go the double dipped, especially if it's dark chocolate. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, the original is the original, right? It's, it's hard to go past an Andrews. But the double dipped, oh, you, and you dunk it in the, the coffee and then you suck it out the top. Oh my goodness! And, and I've it's got good to you know you. so many Australian things. Yeah, it's uh, you know you've got to. It's, that's why that bonus question is custom built for the guests. <laughs> you know, you've got to have something that really ties into them. Um, Just the one thing. 
What's so that? it's the one it's the one thing that we bring back from Australia every year for our friends. We always bring back a, a big box of like ten or twenty packs of Tim Tams, and uh, everyone likes different ones. You know, the double dipped or the originals, and you you can get different flavors. It's uh, but Tim Tams are they're the best, aren't they? They are the absolute best. I can. I like to watch what I eat, but I can go through a pack of Tim Tams in about two minutes, mate. Yeah, yeah, they're great. The uh, in case if you're watching or listening and you haven't uh, haven't tried one, if you ever get to like a world market or you happen to find yourself in Australia, Tim Tams, get yourself a packet and you'll you'll thank us later. Yeah, chocolate cookies. Yeah, they're the best. They're amazing. Ian, thanks so much for sharing with us. Really appreciate uh, hearing from you and just um, keep up the fabulous job that you do. I really know it's not easy uh, and you just do a tremendous job. Um, you're so fair. You're so, uh, you really do speak on behalf of the players and uh, I like the way you go about um, sharing what you're seeing and how we can better understand what's going on out there. You do a tremendous job. Uh, please keep it up. Stay you, keep doing you, and uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Andrew. Great to be with you, mate. Always. Thanks, Ian. Enjoy that grandbaby too, hey? I will. Little Eloise, she's a gem. I, I, know, I know that's why you drove home after Harbortown. Mm -hmm. And I got <laughs> tested yesterday, so I know I'm all clean when I go give her a hug later. Great, man. Enjoy, Ian. All the best. Stay safe. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, mate. Cheers, eh? Bye. Bye-bye.